you know, there's some things I did in spring training that I liked that I was, you know, trying to work on. Um, obviously, I wasn't, like, too concerned about my numbers and stuff, but, they were, you know, I, I wanted to check a few boxes, and, you know, spring training, you're, you know, you can play around with a few things and see what feels right and what doesn't, especially when I was, you know, making a little bit of a swing adjustment. So I definitely am glad I got to use spring training to get myself ready, but obviously, you know, now that it's, you know, go time, time to win games, I had to just go out there and compete, and luckily I feel like I put myself in a good enough spot to do that. Boy, he sure has. That's Matt Chapman, who was the cleanup hitter last night in the Jays' 4-1 win. Got to give a lot of love to uh, Matt Chapman and Dalton Varsho today, also the Jays' bullpen, because we've been a little harsh on him. But first and foremost, Kevin Barker, you say Kikuchi was the story of last night's game, considering what had transpired in Chris Bassett's start and in Jose Barrios' start, early days and all that. The Jays were 1-3. and three. But I would be... I think it's safe to say that a lot of people, and I'll throw myself in that group, approached last night's start by Yusei Kikuchi with a bit of trepidation. He'd had a good, you know, he'd had a very good spring as far as springs go. Uh, But, you know, the proof's always in the pudding, and the pudding doesn't get made until opening day rolls around. But last night, Yusei Kikuchi, to say that that's what the Blue Jays would take every outing from him... (laughs) Uh, two, three ball counts. Never mind the, 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 you know, if you're interested in this, the strikeouts and walks, he had two strikeouts. He had one walk, three hits given up. But, uh, if you look at the other numbers, the underlying numbers, the two, three ball counts, nine swings and misses, 69 pitches, 47 strikes, hit 98 a couple of times, finished his night off with, uh, back-to-back strikeouts again. Mm. Again, if you are the Toronto Blue Jays and John Schneider, you got him through the order twice. Your team played great defense behind him. I mean, Kevin, that's, again, that's better than I thought. That, that's, that's about the top end of the, that, from what I've seen from Yusei Kikuchi. He looked more comfortable than I've seen him in any start. That fastball had... A lot of giddy up, as you would say. Yeah, let me ask you a question. If I told you today, without you watching the baseball game, that you say Kikuchi only had two strikeouts, what would you have said to me? I would have asked you how many walks he had. Three, two strikeouts, four walks. I'd go. Ugh. Yeah, I would have but, probably. I would have probably said the Blue Jays win or lose. They they seemed to me like they would have lost, right? Just, that, yeah. If you gave me, if you said yeah. he had two strikeouts, did they win or lose? I'd probably say they I, lost. I, absolutely. I, and I think that just gets back to the confidence he has, the new mechanics that he has, <sighs> the fluidity of that mechanics is really really good, right? He can repeat that over and over again. Uh, Danny Jansen and that pitch clock for me is a big deal. There's no shaking off with Danny, right? He puts it, he gets the sign, he throws it like there's no thought process into it. Uh, that pitch clock sort of keeps him in rhythm, and, you know, I don't want to say it hurries him up, but it, it eliminates all the thinking. Right. You think long, you think wrong kind of thing, and I love the velocity. I've been saying this to you since he's been a Blue Jay. Where's the velocity going? And all of a sudden, now you're seeing consistently 96, and when he needed 98, you saw it. That's a big deal to go to that, because I'll say this. The, the cutter, because he had he had a couple of things last night that, that were sort of new, Is I, and I said this after after the show or after the game last night, I do think that if it's sort of a marriage when it comes to do all of these mechanical changes and we'll let you have the cutter. You know, that's sort of his blanket. Right. And exp- explain to people, because you, you did a very good job of this last night in Blue Jays talk. Explain to people, when, when you talk about taking away the cutter or giving a guy a cutter, explain how the cutter and the cutter's effectiveness relies on 
the upper velocity of your fastball. So explain that because that's well, uh, well, I think what you're getting. Well, at. a cutter, you know, his cutter all the time is about 90 miles an hour. It doesn't move a ton. And a lot of the times location of it's not real good, right? And he's married to it. He likes to throw it like it's, oh, oh, it's behind in the count. He likes throwing it to get back into counts. Like he's using, he needs the velocity to have the extra little gear to be able to throw that. He was throwing the slider, which is 86, 87 miles an hour. He used the curveball a couple of times, which is in that 84-mile-an-hour range. I just think because you have to cheat a little bit now to hit velocity, it makes it a little easier for him to get away with lack of location when it comes to the cutter. He was great. Like, that's perfect scenario to have a guy that can come out and actually execute all the things that he had going on. So, mm. all systems go, right? You're, you're – you're, Getting some hits when you need to get them. They ran into one last night with Varsho. Matt Chapman looks like a cleanup hitter for a little while. You know, going to face a couple of lefties, and that's a big thing too, right? Yep. So, And their bullpen was excellent. I, John Snyder, for me, I said this after the game last night too, he told you how important this game was by throwing his eighth-inning guy in the sixth inning. I know they had a two-run lead, and I know it's Kansas City. but it's they, top he, of the order, and, and, and you, top of the order includes a guy, Bobby Witt Jr., who's – a good player. Sure. And Sal Perez, who's an all-star. Yes, mainly for defense, but that's a part of the order that scares you. And you're right. He 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 went with his he went essentially with his second best or number two reliever in the sixth inning and then turned it over to Tim Mays and Eric Swanson and and, and then of course Jordan Romano. Tim throwing harder too. Where's Tim, the ninety seven at? If you could throw ninety seven consistently. Did you I, get the impression last night? And and I think Buck and Dan kind of alluded to it. I almost got the impression Tim Mazer was a little pissed off last night. Just maybe, maybe, maybe it'd been a couple of days since he'd pitched. I think that helped him a little bit too. I, you look, I, I, I think he understands that 91, 92 is not going to get it done. It's mm-hmm. got to be 94, 95, 96. And occasionally if you needed a little bit of straighter one, it looked like four seamers to me. Those didn't look like sinkers. They look like that's when you can straighten it out a little bit, maybe located on the corners and your misses are a little bit better because it's straighter. And you can control that mechanically just if you get the good finish. If you got 97, why wouldn't you throw it? It would make the slider better. You know, you, you'd be a little bit easier if you're the manager to throw him in there, keep him in there against a right-handed hitter, too, if it's 97. I'm not saying we're going to consistently see that. It's just odd. When's the last yeah. time you saw that? So, I, yeah, I'm with you. There's some urgency there when it comes to their pin and – that's a big game for them, right? It just how well, good their team can look. You don't want to lose when their never, starter's good. Yeah, it's, it's it's. I mean, that's a lot of teams, but it's man, never it's good to lose with the Blue Jays. It's never good to lose four games in a row. It's just not back to back games against not. Kansas City too. Would be hard to take. Yeah, and I also that's the other thing I liked about this start is it kind of it, it just kind of rest, it restored order. You know, that looked like the type of win. It, John Schneider goes to bed at night, and other than a you know a complete game no hitter, which you hardly ever see unless your name's Sandy Alcantara or something like that. He's pretty good. I'm willing to bet that John Schneider looks at a game like that and goes, "That's almost perfect. Like every move worked out." Again, Dalton Varsho. I want to talk about Dalton Varsho and his defense in a minute, mm-hmm. uh, but I want to go back, go back to the bullpen as well. It was intriguing. I, I think we're going to see John Schneider play some games with Garcia and Swanson, like that. And and I found it interesting. It was Mesa Swanson. I think we may see times where Swanson comes in after, you know, in the sixth inning yeah. because that splitter plays. And maybe I get the impression, Eric, correct me if I'm wrong here. Do you think that Eric Swanson's more likely to give you 
uh, more than just one inning of relief than Garcia. Like last night, Garcia pitched one in the third. Swanson came and got out of that inning. Yeah. But I almost get the impression Swanson is more capable. He might be the guy ultimately that gives you one in a third. I think the track record, the eyes would tell John Snyder, because Garcia's been around him longer, that he has a little bit more trust in okay. him right now as the season started. So he's scoreboard watching, right? You got a two-run lead. You bring in your guy. You know you've seen him do it before. Right. He's got multiple pitches, and, and that's sure normally the guy you're throwing to. Right. Yeah, I don't think it is with Garcia. You don't think it is? Okay. No, because a lot of the times he's getting the top of the order. There could be two lefties. There could be a righty. I think he's got breaking balls, the cutter, the four-seamer. He's throwing harder, which gives them a lot of confidence. So, I think they got a bunch of options down there, right? But, again, it gets back to that starter. When your starter is better, he's doing the things he's doing. Just allows you to run the bases a little bit more aggressively, right? You're playing defense. You're catching the balls you're supposed to catch. It looks better. The optics of your lineup just looks a ton better because of their bats, the competitiveness of that. So, yeah, for me, it's we said this to start the season, and we'll continue to say it. I'm saying 900 innings from the rotation, mm-hmm. and I'll continue to say it because of how it looked when they didn't give them innings. Like, their lineup, their team didn't look real good. Now, again, I say this because a lot of teams, it's not going to look good. But it's just, for me, the Blue Jays to go where they ultimately want to go, a lot of that's going to rely on those five guys in that rotation. A reminder that game three of this series goes tonight. 740 is the first pitch. Tomorrow, the series finale. Uh, is a, I believe it's a 410 first pitch. Sounds good. Uh, Kevin Gossman against Blake. Jordan Lyles. Tonight, tonight it's it's Alec Manoa against. Why do you laugh? Zach Grinky. It's going to be a yin and yang thing, or yin and yang thing with uh, Manoa and Grinky. Gr- Grinky's not an easy at bat. You want to know why? What, what do I, like, do I let the ball travel, try and hit the ball the other way? Do I pull him? Do I try and hit him up the middle? There's really not an approach with him. Where do I look? Do I look middle in? Do I look middle away? Do I look up? Like, where do you look? These guys right here that can add and subtract, and they're going to go, when in doubt, going to go slower. They're not going to speed it up. They're not going to try and throw harder. So how do you attack it as a lineup? This is going to be a tough, again, you don't want to say that, that, you know, this could be a really tough game for them because, I, I really I don't think it can be because of the the balance now and he's gonna have to use more than two pitches to get the Blue Jays out. But it is the adding and the subtracting and the big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at 15, 20 miles an hour difference, right? He, and then he can throw the EFAS and like he's, he's a guy, you know what he, he he's he's a really old dude who mm-hmm. understands how to use his lack of velocity as a weapon. There you go. That that's that that. That's exactly. So I don't know what you do. Exactly do you, do you, you crowd the plate? Do you try and pull him? What do you do? I, I, I know you don't mechanically change anything. Like I'm not using my two strike approach. Oh, oh, like I'm not going to do that. But what do you do? Like you know, what, it, what would be the game plan? It'd be it, interesting to watch. It's at. weird. He was uh, one of the starts he made in the postseason. I don't know how many years ago it was, but I I remember it was. Uh, it was during the postseason. It was a it was a Fox game, and I remember John Smoltz talking about him and saying he is essentially the closest thing or the only thing around right now to what you used to get from from a knuckleballer. In other words, he's mm-hmm. a guy that can put you. People always used to say a knuckleball pitcher would come along and oh my god, he can put you in a slump forever, right? Sure. Uh, and his point was that Zach Grinky. There's so much funkiness to Zach Greinke's game that he he'll almost gr- he'll is, grunt like crazy and it'll be 88. Yeah, he's right. he, he's almost. I mean, he's he's unique that way. 
He's he a heat like, like a guy like Matt Chapman, who's been hitting the ball to right center. I, will it be tougher to do that today? That, that'll that be an interesting thing, too, right? A guy that adds and subtracts, and mm-hmm. can you stay within it and have the good link to it and think right center? It'd be That's intriguing. Speaking of Manoa, I want to mention Manoa. Chapter 2 of Obsessed goes tonight on Blue Jay Central, and uh, this is a six-part series put together by Hazel May and, uh, and Stephen Payne. And uh, tonight the focus will be on Susanna Luch, who is uh, I, Alec Manoa's mother. She's much more than that. She's amazing. She's the matriarch of the family. She is. Um, she is. She's a boss. Yeah. She's a boss of, of everything Manoa-ish. She's the boss. So, again, that'll be on Blue Jay Central before the game tonight, Definitely. which is great because it'll tee up Alec Manoa's start. And if you're interested... And, of course, you are. Yesterday, Alec Verdugo, Alex Verdugo had a few things to say about Alec Manoa. And uh, Alec Manoa's response to that was <clears throat> word for word what my response would be. And, indeed, what my response is to critics an awful lot of time. Coming from him, I don't give a bleep. Yeah, it's not surprising. I think it adds a little That's in, way it should in, be. intrigue to it. You know, I know Verdugo's had some success off of Manoa before, right? I think he's hitting 463 or something, like seven for 16 off him. I mean, if you're going to do like, that better, here's the thing. If I'm Alec Manoa, well, I'm not Alec Manoa. If someone who's hitting 463 off me says that, I'd take that differently than a dude who's one for 25 yeah, off I me. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't think I care. Like, I, again, it's, it's good it, fun. It, it breaks up is. the monotony. It is. Good for him. He's going to actually come out and say something. It's not going to change my game. I am who I am. I'm, yep. a, I'm a good pitcher. I'm going to come right after you. I'm going to be aggressive. I make my pitches. Good chance I'm going to get you out. I want to uh, – we'll be joined, by the way, by Eric Kratz, uh, former MLB catcher, one of Barker's favorite teammates, co-host of Foul Territory. Folks, this is a, a, a new podcast that uh, – it's it's really cool. It's him. It's uh, A.J. Przinsky. It's a, a bunch of guys. Adam Jones. Uh, a bunch of contributors. And uh, it's it's a terrific podcast. It's a must-listen. And he'll join us at 10.30, 11.05. Buck Martinez joins us <clears throat> from Kansas City as we get you set for the third game of the uh, 20, or of this, of this particular series against Kansas City. Want to go back. And we do have trivia. In the next hour, tickets for the April 13th game against the Detroit Tigers. I want to go back and talk about the lineup a little bit and about the defense last night. This is the other thing that that I think if you're Yusei Kikuchi, you've got to be particularly happy with. The defense last night, Bobby Witt Jr., Vladdy makes a terrific play. Yep. First play of the game that needs to be made. Vladdy makes it. Second inning, Kikuchi scuffling. Giving up a home run, single, wild pitch. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, here's I'm. I see, you know, I see a, uh, I see a, a, a nut come off. I see a bolt come off. I, I see a little bit of it's like, or it's like watching an F, F1 race where something happens and this part of the car, the wing goes off and this goes off in that direction. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there saying, all right, here it comes. Here's you say Kikuchi, and Dalton Varsho. Completes a 7-2 double play and a liner That's off a the big bat of 80. And it was a big play for him. Mm-hmm. But you made a point about Dalton Varsho. We have talked about Dalton Varsho's defense. And I think when we talk about his elite defense, most of the time we're talking about his routes, his ability to close, to, to, to cover ground. Yeah, His throwing arm. It's not great. But explain to me what he did last night on that play to... Maybe not overcome the fact that his throwing arm isn't great. That's how you say it. 
Okay, then to overcome. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you noticed him do something, uh, well, and it's yeah. a good. You know what? For kids out there, well, like seriously, this is a good idea. Because you don't you don't see a lot of a, a lot of outfielders do that because sometimes they get lazy and they don't want to force themselves behind the ball because of lack of something, and the lack of something is the strength of his throwing arm. You have to have momentum where when you catch the baseball, everything is going towards where you want it to end up, and. Last night, that's a prime example. you got a runner on third base who's Duffy, who's a decent runner. He's not a great runner. But you know you're not a, a tremendous thrower, right? The ball's pretty deep. I mean, it's not tremendously deep, but you have to force yourself behind it. So when you do catch it, as soon as you catch it, it's to release point, and you're following your throw, and you want to give Danny a big hop, right? Give it to him because he has to give the runner the lane where he can catch it and then go get the runner and, and tag him out. It absolutely was. Everything that adds up to you know him actually before the ball is in his glove, how he gets the ball in his glove to get it to the release point and throw it and, and throw a strike because of, you know, basically lack of velocity. I know that's the hard, one of the hardest balls he's ever thrown, but I think it's the accuracy. It's how he got behind the baseball. It's how he stayed through it. I mean, that's why everybody likes him, I think, right? It's other than, you know, the ability to leave his feet at the right time, the timing in the outfield, uh, the, the relationship between now him and Kiermaier, like it's – that's pretty cool stuff. Like it's, and now you're adding the mix that we see him offensively button off a tough lefty. Mm. Like there's a lot with a runner on second base and no outs, right? He's sort of giving that up for the team. At the very least, it's runner on third, one out. Yeah. But I know my woes. I know I got a little bit of issue with the breaking ball from the lefty. I got to be careful, right? At least I want to get him over, give us a chance to have an insurance run late in the game, which makes it easier for my pen to. Close out baseball games. He's a first he's a thinker. He's a smart guy. He's the first Blue Jays player in about 12 years that I'm comfortable seeing bunt. Because most of them can't bunt. Yeah, it's not, most of them, and, and it's it's not it's, bunt, really. It's a, he's bunting for a hit. Okay. So there's a big difference. But my right? point he's trying is to drag bunt it. Yeah, but my, there's, I'm, I was thinking of other lineups they've had. I, they haven't had anybody before that I maybe Munanori Kawasaki. And I'm not kidding. Maybe mm-hmm. Munanori Kawasaki's a guy I was comfortable with it. But this team is, I mean, Kevin, how many games in the last couple of couple of years have, or how many times in the last couple of years have we watched people like Santiago Espinal square around a bunch? I mean, you might as well just mark it down as a strikeout. Yeah, it's hard. It be a strikeout. Oh, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do. It, it, it's hard because of balance, and you don't do it all the time. It's not something you practice. It's not the reason why you're going to be in the big leagues if yeah, you're Santiago Espinal. I mean, you bunt, I'm stating try and bunt it, I'm just, two times a year. I'm stating it as a fact. I'm not stating it but as a I, criticism. But I like the fact that he's balled into the situation yeah. is right before I walk to the plate. At least I got a game plan of I know the runner's on second. I know I've had some tough at-bats here early in the season because of the breaking ball from a lefty. I know I'm going to get a bunch of lefties because the other team knows that that's sort of the thing, right? I've already hit a homer off a righty that was 98 middle away the other way, so you don't want to bring in a righty. It's just, it's sort of field awareness. It's knowing what's going on before it actually happens. That's what, you know, you get asked, what will fans be excited with him about? Well, it could be, it's accumulation of a bunch of things, but you can tell he's a smart dude. You think it through before it actually happens to give yourself a chance to look good. One of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, with Varsho and, and with the Jays outfielders in general, we talk about pre-pitch setup yeah. with fielders. Yeah, it's a big deal. Outfielders as well? Absolutely. Right. You got to, you know, you don't want to be straight up and down because it's, it's hard to get a good jump. 
right? You want to be in an athletic position. You want to be. Is it the same know, for an outfielders yeah. and infielders? Oh, well, it's different, you know, because you do it so many times. You want to be comfortable. You're not most of the time catching ground balls either, right? Right. Yeah, you, know, you might catch a ground ball that's a bouncing one. Most of the time, they're not right at you. You're running side to side, so you're more wanting to get in your athletic position, but you also don't want to wear yourself out. So you got to find your happy medium, right? Right. It could be I got a little bend at my knees. I got my glove laying on whichever hand I got my glove on laying on my thigh, and that's how I'm getting the jump. As long as I have the bent knees and I'm athletic and I can feel my base, I can feel my legs, I can feel my feet, that allows me to get the best jump that I could possibly get. Yeah, I was a bounce guy. I was just like Chapman. I'm just I was just like Vladdy. I don't know if Bo does the bounce or not. I think uh, Whit Merrifield does the bounce, Santiago Espinal, where you're doing the, you know, the the pitcher does his little windup when his foot hits the ground, the ball's released. I take a step forward, and when it gets in the dirt area from the grass to the dirt, that's when I take my little bounce hop where I'm in an athletic position and I'm not stale. You sort of want to keep your feet moving, right? Mm -hmm. So you can go side to side, up and back as quick as you possibly can. So, yeah, it's a big deal. Like, these guys are athletes now. There's athletes all over the field for the Blue Jays, which is kind of cool to watch. Yeah, we we, we talked about that last night in Blue Jays Talk. And a reminder, Kevin and I will be doing Blue Jays Talk again uh, for for the remainder of this series. Uh, We talked about that last night, and, and I made the point. I looked at this lineup that the Jays ran out there. And again, there's not not everybody in this lineup is going to win a stolen base crown, but everybody in this lineup can take the extra base. The lineup they ran out last night: Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, Chapman, Varshal, Merrifield, Jansen, Espinal, Kiermaier. That might be the best Blue Jays lineup Contro- we've seen in some controlled time. aggression. I, I think that is the key two words: is you don't you know you don't want to be dumb about it, right? You the, there is that because of the bigger bases. Do I get? Do I run myself out of innings? Do I make it harder for the – the whole point in going first to third is to make it easier for the guy coming up to hit, right? It's not always the easiest thing with a runner in scoring position. We talk about this all the time. Getting a hit with a runner on second base, but it's a lot easier mm-hmm. for me to have a productive at bat if that dude's standing on third with less than two outs. That's the point. And now they're they're really telling everybody, you got a chance. Run with your head up. You don't need Louie, the third base coach, to tell you to come on. Matt Chapman nice. was Matt Chapman was three for four last night. Uh his fifth double of the year already. He's hitting five seventy-nine through five games. He was in the cleanup spot. We mentioned that. You heard him at the top of the show talk about his basically checking off everything. He thought he checked off everything in spring training, even though the numbers yeah, I, didn't add up. Jeff, he's getting a good pitch to hit. Like like I, th- this is sort of the graduation of Hitters, when they get to where they think they found that mechanical thing that just all of a sudden's clicked. Now, I'm not saying that little toe. It's not even a toe tap anymore. It's like, like a shuffle, isn't it? Wouldn't yeah, you say? It's sort of like he's gliding across yeah. the dirt, and he just want, it's just enough to where he can feel the weight on the inside of his back leg. That That's the whole point in this thing. So you can get that separation sooner and easier and the sooner you can do that, what do you do, Jeff? You don't chase as much, right? We haven't seen him chase as much, and no. that gives him an opportunity to, when he does get a cookie, you don't miss it. And I think that's sort of the graduation of where we're seeing Bo do that. You know, even with the big leg kick and the big wrap that he does with his barrel, he he's so comfortable doing it now that I got two strikes. I got big two big daddy hacks, and then I because I got that <laughs> safety blanket with my two-strike approach, that I just sort of, I found it. I don't have to think about it anymore, and now it's just me getting a it's good like, pitch to hit. It's a, It's like he talked about when he was, his first year with the Blue Jays, a, a comment that 
has always stuck with me how his two his two strike approach is like golfer's short game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I got two hacks. Yeah. And, and, then, I, me, and then I got my short game. It took game. me 16, 16 years and I never found it. And it's it's hard to find to where you can be watching your favorite player hit and he gets a good pitch to hit on TV and you're thinking most of the time he's hammering that thing and you're not thinking, wow, he just missed it. That's the difference, right, between a good hitter and a great hitter. And I'm not saying Chappie's a great hitter, but, man, if he's found something with the lower half and he can think right right center and he has great direction like he's had and he can lay off the elevated fastball a lot of the times, I don't – why Why can't you, right? No, and I uh, – you know, at some point – Cito Gaston always used to talk about how he, he loved doubles. Yeah, a put guy the hitting on the pitcher, I, I, but a guy hit. He he said that he thought when a player is hitting doubles, it's a sign that his swing is where where his swing is where it needs to be. Now he can decide if he's going to pull a little more and maybe hit, try to hit and, it and, where it's pitched. That that's this the and I, some, sometimes we way overthink this thing, right? It's if I if I'm mechanically sound, I'm happy with that. I think about it no more. Mm. Right? Spring training, you remember Chapman, he was in between, it was too quick, right? He you could actually see him churning. He was thinking about it even in that little hit we had to start the show. You can hear it in his voice that, you know, I, it just didn't work out because I was overthinking it, right? Yeah. I was actually thinking about where that was at instead of see ball, hit ball. Now there's no thinking about it, right? And you can tell that. Like, it's just free and easy, and my ultimate goal is because now I trust it. And he's just having, to get my pitch. And now he's – the thing we talked about with Matt Chapman coming out of spring training is it's great to talk about. I, I got this thing. It's great to have people talking about. I got this new thing I'm trying – but you got to stay with it when it isn't working. And we, I, I think our concern, I think I'm safe in saying this, our concern was that Matt Chapman gets off the slow start and then now we're kind of, all the stuff he worked on in spring training, it's like you well, throw it away. Well, 200 million. That's what we were afraid but, of. But I know, but that's why I'm saying this is, mm-hmm. this is perfect if you're Matt Chapman because you're trying something a little new oh. and it's paying off. No question. And it's paying off in a way that you can get up in the morning and look at it. I know it's paying off because I was three for four last night. You know what he's doing too? He's doing it now. For three strikes. He's not he's not going back with two strikes to how he was last year. Right. If you notice that, with two strikes now because he trusts it so much and it is short and methodical and he's getting the front toe down and can have that good spin and rotation out of the baseball. Look, especially against lefties now, he's your cleanup hitter, no? thousand percent. No uh, question. Right now asked. he is. Right now he is. Yep. Right now I've almost – Me? Right now, I got a Varsho. Uh, I've got a Varsho Chapman platoon in the cleanup spot. Yeah, right now you can say that. And I, I, I'm sure Brandon Belt will get in a. You know, you got to give Brandon Belt another chance. Mm-hmm. But if if this thing's working, I'm quite happy with those two. No question. Quite happy with those two. Uh, Eric Kratz is a former MLB catcher. He's co-host of uh, Foul Territory along with AJ Przinsky and a cast of thousands. Uh, he's man. He caught for a lot of teams. Caught a lot of pitchers. Had a really, really good career. He's also one of Barker's former teammates, one of his many former teammates. But uh, it's a terrific podcast. He's fun. He's always insightful. We'll talk about pitch calm. We'll talk about the game. we got to talk about the pitch clock after what we saw from Sandy Alcantara last night. Our friend Jason Stark gave us some an amazing number, an amazing stat in Sandy Alcantara. We'll talk about that later. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fans, Sportsnet 360, 
and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I got a stat for you here. Oh. This is not even an analytics thing. No? No. Give it to me, then. You know, last night, Sandy Alcantara. He's good. <laughs> Brilliant. Just a one hour. They had a one hour and 57 minute game against the Twins last night. Um, the game had, in total, 220 pitches. Yeah. 57 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. It's from our friend Jason Stark. Sandy Alcantara, the average plate appearance against Sandy Alcantara last night was one minute and 22 seconds. (laughs) The average time of a plate appearance was one minute and 22 seconds. I'm not, I know we have Kratzy on, but I'm not comparing Yusei Kikuchi to Alcantara. This is why velocity matters. Why why it matters is because Alcantara's change up happy. Like he wants to get weak swing and misses quick. To have 99 that you have to cheat to, this gets back to that. Why does that extra four or five mile an hour mm-hmm. matter? It's because of that, right? It's not always going to be perfect. Occasionally, he's going to miss down the middle. It's a big deal. He's a good pitcher, man. Oh, he is. Man, he, he's good. He, he's something else. Uh, Eric Kratz is a former MLB catcher. He's co-host of a new podcast, which is also available on YouTube, Foul Territory, A.J. Przinsky, Todd Frazier, Adam Jones. Are the co- what a crew. Yeah, what a crew. They are the co-conspirators in this podcast. Every now and then, every now and then, they allow Ken Rosenthal into their little private club as well. And uh, we're very pleased that uh, Eric Kratz joins us today. Eric, congratulations on the pod. Uh, It's going to be terrific. Looking forward to it. Um, Well, I mean, it's early days here. We haven't really even gone through a first full week of Major League Baseball. But a lot of topics, you know, the pitch clock's a topic of conversation. Pitchers using Pitchcom has kind of become more of a conversation with this team than the clock itself because Chris Bassett has 115 different pitches and Jose Barrios is not struggling as a catcher before we talk about the pitch clock and whether or not you like where the game has gone right now as a catcher how would you have liked having your pitcher call pitches Mm. I have no hair but I would have pulled my hair out (laughs) Why? I think I think there's there's a great there's a awesome awesome opportunity to speed the game up in the sense of I love a fast worker like the best pitchers always work fast so I love that part of it and you know what if I'm catching for the Phillies from 2011 to 2013 I am super good with it because I am totally fine with pitchers calling their game that are, you know, Hall of Famers or fringe Hall of Famers on that rotation with Cliff Lee, Roy Holiday, Cole Hamels. But the issue is if it trickles down to guys who are either super confident and really dumb or they are just really dumb, like they're just going to come out and they're going to be like, yeah, you know what, I didn't really do any of my prep work which I spend an hour and a half before every game doing. And I'm, I just really think this is the best pitch right here. It's like, okay, 
but you, you like, what are you basing those decisions on? So I, I like, I like the back and forth part of it. I like to be able to, I want to see a catcher get the pitch com, get the pitch from the pitch com, and go, no, no. I want to see the catcher shake. <laughs> That's what I want to see. Okay, because Chris, then, then I'd be good. Well, then, then I'd he, be good. Then it would speed everything up. Well, then the pitcher can call timeout and walk in and talk to the catcher at home plate. Yeah, that that'd be good. outstanding. Oh my god! <laughs> I, ne- I never thought about that. With my fat butt, I would love that. Just come on in. You come in here. I don't need to come out there. You come in here. We'll talk. Tell the tell the hitter to move away a little bit, and we'll chat it up. That's outstanding. Okay, Chris Bassett. It's interesting that conversation that you just had with me or with us. Chris Bassett. I was listening to. Well, well, he has. I said us. Uh, he he has eight, he has eight different pitches, and you just mentioned the well. We all talk about the pitch clock and the fifteen seconds and the twenty seconds. It it just seems like he, from what we listen to, from what we've seen, will have the issue of how quickly you get the eighth sign, whatever that is, right? It's not on that same page. They're trying to eliminate eliminate that so the catcher can get up in his lane. Is that is For that sure. was that sound simple or, or tough? No. For, no, no, no. That it sounds simple because if you watched any New York Mets games last year, Chris Bassett was the reason for the pitch clock this year, or as MLB <laughs> trying to call it, the pitch timer. Yes. I mean, if MLB can't can't crap on anything else and make more mistakes, a pitch timer. It's not a pitch timer. Not even in Canada is it a pitch timer. Like. Nobody, there's no, but Chris Bassett is really the re like he had an incredible year last year, uh-huh. but he would shake. He doesn't have that many pitches that you're going to call in the situation. And yet he shakes through so many times to the point where I started watching, he would shake to get back to the last, to, to get back to the first sign. So like in his case, yes, push the button. Go throw the ball. You had success last year. But I think part of that is, like, his shtick, like, part of his, like, timing. And that's something that I don't think people are talking enough about, that some pitchers have messed with timing, have messed with hitters' timing. And it's going to turn into pitchers on the mound being like a quarterback under center and watching watching the play clock. You know, wind down from seven. Hey, I got to snap it at five. Oh, I haven't snapped it at three in the last four plays. I got to snap it at three. So that's how you guys are. You're going to see pitchers like Bassett, who now have control of that clock, use it to their advantage. Yeah, I'm waiting to the first time I hear a pitcher yell Omaha like Peyton Manning <laughs> yeah. used to. I'm waiting for Why that. Why are you not allowed? <laughs> Why are you not allowed, Jeff? I need it. I need to hear it. Cratchy, let me ask you about the first turn in a rotation. We've heard John Snyder say because Manoa had a tough start, Bassett had a tough start, Barrios has had numerous tough starts, but he had a tough first start. As a former catcher, when you were catching that first time through, you know, everybody's sort of excited. Their uniform fits better than it did in spring training. You got the new (laughs) spikes. You probably got a new glove, right? You're trying to fit in everything. Now they got a new toy in the pitch com. How much do you read into that you know, tough first time through the order. Uh, I usually go back to what Charlie Manuel would always say. Water levels out. And I think you have to go back to your sample size of what has Manoa, what has Manoa done last year? What has he done in the previous years? 
And how do you get back to those things? I think for Blue Jay fans, I think the Barrios trend, unfortunately, you look at completely different than you do the Manoa trend, yeah. you know, from, from one start, from one time through. I think one thing that we would look at from your first start or maybe your first start after it, – it's similar, first start after, you know, an IL stint. Like, where's the velocity at? You know, are guys' velocities down in their first start? Then I'd be worried. You know, so I'm looking at more of, like, the auxiliary stuff, the ancillary stuff that maybe, hey, you know what, they didn't they didn't have the run totals that they wanted to in their outing. But, you know, if, you're, if your velocity's not up in your first outing, like, uh, like that's when it should be up because sure. you're, you're juiced, just like Barky said. Mm-hmm. Like, you got new cleats. Like you customize those cleats in December to have your initials on the outside of you them. Did, like yeah. you were ready for that first start. One of the things we've seen early in the year with this team is uh, Matt Chapman, who you know statistically did not have a did not have a great spring statistically, um, and not that that matters. But the fact of the matter is, he did not have a great spring statistically. I mean, he's just he started the season hitting. He's still hitting. They moved him into the cleanup position. I understand it's early days and all that, but he's, I think now he's probably got the cleanup spot, certainly against left-handed pitchers more than, more than anybody else in this lineup does. Uh, he's also in a, in, in a money year, right? He's eligible for free agency. There's not a lot of free agent uh, infielders on, on, on the left side available this year. Um, you've seen this guy play a lot. If Matt Chapman, if Matt Chapman has a, one of his best offensive years this year in a walk year. You know, how much do you think he might be worth in the open market this year? Because he's already an elite defender. Right, right. You talk about not many, not many infielders available on the left side. Yeah, we had a huge, a huge uh, shortstop class leave. But mm-hmm. there's not many infielders that pick it like Mac Chapman. And I think defense is super valuable, even more valuable than I think people put on at third base because of run values. Uh, Hits that get by third baseman are usually more than one base, and he's proven that he can play that position. I think if he has a year, you know, I think he's going to have a year because of coming off of the hip surgery, not last year, but last year playing through, you know, coming off an offseason of hip surgery. I see him having an incredible offensive year to the point where I think he, you know he'll be above 800 OPS and you know he'll bang his home runs out of the ballpark. But with his defense, if he doesn't get if he doesn't get 160 million, mm-hmm. I would be surprised. Yeah, you know you're look, you're looking at Correa, who's another defender, got six years, six years, 200 million. I don't think he'll reach that especially since he'll be 30 years old starting next year. He's almost 30 now. I would, you know, if you go a little bit below what Dansby Swanson got, I whew, I would take him over Dansby Swanson at, at third base and find a shortstop to, to play the position. But I, I, I am a huge, huge Matt Chapman fan. You mentioned Barrios. If you were the starting catcher for Jose Barrios and between his start that he had a couple of days ago and his next start, if you could give him one piece of advice, Kratzy, what would it be? 
Barky, you are you like I was I was looking at Barrios stuff just yesterday. So you you and I we're still connected at the hip. Absolutely. I love it, bud. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I would really, and this might be more of a pitching coach thing. Yeah. Figure out how to get a little bit more depth. The guy's been a wipeout slider, sinker guy. You know, more like a and yeah, a sinker slider guy, and it's become more like a sweeping slider mm-hmm. and a running sinker that's not sinking. So I would work in in his bullpen because as a backup catcher, you work you work in guys' bullpens. I would say we're sitting on the plate, and I want you to drop six sliders on the back corner of the plate for me because he's always been a huge sweep guy with that slider. And if you watch his slider and his sinker, the depth is just not there. Statistically, analytically, his depth isn't there either. And I don't know if that's on purpose or if that is just, you know, what, what it's you know, turned into at this point in his career. But he's got to get more depth because everything is just sliding away from righties or into righties, into lefties or away from lefties. And the hitters are always on the same plane. And that's why he's given up a lot of hard contact. We've, uh, we've got the Eric Kratz bowl going on in, uh, in New York, the Phillies against uh, Phillies against the Yankees. Phillies, Phillies won last night. Um, You know, both of those teams pretty well. They're, they're going to be significant players this year, Eric, A, a couple of questions for you about them. One, Watching the Yankees and watching the impact Anthony Volpe is having in that lineup and, and just how that, that lineup just looks a little more athletic with him in there. I'm wondering if you think he is going to have that type of, sign- of a significant impact all year round and how much of a difference that makes for the Yankees and also just the Phillies. Can the, can the Phillies survive? No Reese Hoskins and, and, uh, you know, and whatever Bryce Harper is going to be when, he, when he's up and running. Is that enough for them to still win the division? First, the Yankees. I think, I think there is so much value in having young life and young energy in that in, in on a team in the in the starting in the starting lineup every day. Yes, he's hitting ninth. Yes, I don't think Anthony Volpe is going to be the Rookie of the Year. I think when you play 160 games in New York, you're going to get some votes. But I think there has been for years the kind of like button up, like, hey, everybody, make sure you wear your ties, make sure your hair is nice, you know, clean shaven. We're the Yankees. This is a certain way. And it kind of has bled over to almost a lack of energy out on out of the field. And that, that might be unfair to say, but it is – you know, it's a culture, and it's certainly not from their manager. Their manager has tons of energy, and he lets guys be who they are. I think it's just the aura around being a Yankee. Like, well, I got to make sure I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a certain way. And I think an energy and a youthfulness, almost a naivety, is is a welcome sight for a team, for a team like the Yankees that already has absolute. Bombers. They don't need somebody to come up to hit 30 homers from the minor leagues. This guy gets on base, and he's the nine hitter. And no, we're not in little league anymore. The nine hitter's not the worst hitter. The eight hitter's the worst hitter. And I'll tell my buddy Kyle Higashioka that the eighth hitter is always the worst hitter. <laughs> but he turns that lineup over, and now all of a sudden, DJ LeMahieu is going to right field with a guy on second base because Volpe's stealing bags. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, I think it is a huge impact. And I think the Phillies, I think the Phillies are going to miss Reese Hoskins and the fans need to eat crow because they have been pining to get Reese Hoskins out of the lineup for years. And they're missing out on a player that is an 830 OPS player, like guy that, yes, he's very streaky. But when you can pencil in 25 to 35 pumps a year and you're going to have an OPS and an on-base percentage, like big markets don't necessarily see on-base percentage unless the media unless the media pumps it. And Philly is an area that they really, you know, they, they have always thrived on batting average. Like, what's your batting average? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you're 0 for 16. Reese will go 0 for 16. Kyle Schwarber will go 0 for 16. And I asked a lot of people last year when I was on on the radio with the Phillies, I said, would you pay Reese Hoskins the same amount of money per year as Kyle Schwarber? And not one person was like, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Because Kyle Schwarber is not a good defender. But Reese Hoskins has a career OPS of 25 points higher than Kyle Schwarber. Right. And so he's going to be missed. He's going to be missed, and it is bad. Yeah, what is, you know, thinking back to some of the interviews during the postseason and and, and his teammates talking about Reese Hoskins, I, I look, I, I don't follow the Phillies every day, but I, I really got the impression that not only was he respected in that clubhouse, I mean, it, it seemed to me that he was the guy in that clubhouse. Gamer. It, 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 is, is that the case? It just seemed like he was the guy that stuff kind of revolved around. Even with Bryce I there. That, I, I, no, no doubt. No doubt. I, I don't think anybody's going to argue that Bryce is not the leader in the clubhouse, and that's okay when you're a superstar. You know, you don't necessarily have to be the leader. That's, right. that's a burden for other people. But I think what people – what and, and I think this is – and this is my opinion. This is not – this is just one, what I've witnessed and what I saw as a player when I was there. The media did not – push Reese Hoskins as a leader in that clubhouse Hmm. to a man. I think everybody saw that now Kyle Schwarber comes in and he does more things that are out front and the media immediately hopped on it saying, Oh, this guy's the leader. He's the leader they've been waiting for. But I know for a fact that everything that Kyle Schwarber did last year First, at the beginning of the year, went through Reese Hoskins. Like, it wasn't like, uh, Reese, you know, step aside. This is my team. No. He, you know, he took, he took over kind of a role that, you know, was more of an out-front leader. And that doesn't mean that Reese wasn't the leader. Reese is so respected in there. Reese is a lot like Pat Burrell back in the day in 2008 when the Phillies won the World Series. Pat Burrell was on the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to re re-sign him, but there's an energy for a, a guy to be in that lineup that has played in the same city their entire career. And, you know, the guys kind of, they rally around it. Like, you know, you know, so much more, you have so much of a, uh, I, I don't know. You're not, you have a, it's a veteran presence and right. Reese is, is and was, and he'll still be hanging around the team this year. Some, but he is that presence that Harper's not, that Turner can't be yet because he hasn't been there. And Schwarber will continue to be the guy. And 
but they're going to miss Reese a lot. Eric, really good of you to join us today, man. Terrific insight go, again. Congratula- congratulations on the pod and the YouTube show. I'm Pretty looking cool. forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Be well, my friend. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, and make sure everybody in Canada listens to the show. Foul territory. Absolutely. Awesome. Take care. See that you, is Eric Kratz, and uh, he, Adam Jones, Todd Frazier, A.J. Perzinski, Ken Rosenthal. The podcast is Foul Territory. It's uh, it's, it's, it's also on YouTube as well. Very great, great conversation. I love Eric Kratz, but that's that stuff about Reese Hoskins is... It's pretty good stuff. It is. I, I, you know, it's a lot about performance driven for me. I, you know, the raw, raw thing. And I, I get it. You're in Philly. Mm-hmm. You got to be that. Somebody's got to answer for everybody else. And mm-hmm. that's sort of what Kratzy, I think, is is talking about when somebody you know needs to step up and and have a conversation. I think it was Reese, but it's a, he he performed too, right? He had homers, drove in runs. Let me ask you this because I know we've just got a few a few minutes a few minutes left. You know what? I want to. I'm gonna. I want to. When we bring Buck on. In the next segment, I want to talk to both of you guys about this. I want to ask you, does the media often get the notion of clubhouse leadership wrong? In other words, do we often run around and say, hey, so-and-so is important in the clubhouse. He's a big leader. And the guys in the team, no, eh, that ain't the case. I want to, I want to have that conversation with you and Buck because I find that interesting. Buck Martinez joins us. We've got Jay's tickets to give away all ahead. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Sportsnet 360. And if you're listening to us via podcast, obviously, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big shout out, by the way, to our producer Mark Boffo today. He uh, he bought coffee for the troops, and he Why? announced he announced that he's buying coffee after every you say Kikuchi win this year. I wish him luck. So someone's going to have to pick up the other. That would be you. Oh, and Lance Lance Kennedy weighing in. He'll do it after every Barrios win or Barrios win. There you go. Mm. Who do you think? Big, who do you big, think's going to be? Nice. Who do you think's going to be buying coffee. more coffees? I'm not for having us this. Who do you think's going to be buying more coffees for us this year? I think it'll be a tie. How's that? That's good. Seven forty is the first pitch tonight. The Jays and the Kansas City Royals game three of their four game series oh, yes. on Sportsnet five ninety. The fans Sportsnet streaming. As per usual, we will be along for Blue Jays talk following the game. And I've got Jays tickets uh, to see the Detroit Tigers. I don't like these 740 starts, by the way. Oh, stop. I don't like it. Uh, Jays tickets to see the Tigers and the Jays at the Rogers Center on April 13th. And uh, it's a trivia question. And folks, please, please do better today than you did yesterday. Now I will say I can't this: believe you, I, our trivia question yesterday that that was hard. Why was that hard? Well, it was hard, but it was some of the second choices were odd, right? Like, like there's two choices, but a lot of people, you know, were thinking like guys like Jack Morris and all that. I no, mean, two choices. There was two choices, and I got the first. I admit when I when I my the, yesterday's trivia question was the three-time Cy Young Award winner won his first as a member of the Tigers with a 21-3 record and 240 strikeouts. And right away, I thought Justin Verlander. Eh. Wrong. The answer was Max Scherzer. I did. You thought Scherzer right away? I did. Okay. 
And I said it, and you gave me the number one sign. <laughs> Anyhow, the answer was uh, Scherzer. I thought it was Brian. right there. There it is, back there. Yeah. It's amazing how it's amazing how bold people are when they're right. behind the glass. You got it wrong. <laughs> Whatever. I can't do everything in this show. Yeah, you do carry it a lot. Yeah, I do. That's, That's why for sure. I'm getting old. Just ask you. My back is back yeah. to acting up today. Alec Manoa gets a start for the Blue Jays today, oh. and a reminder that the second installment of the six-part feature on Alec Manoa, Obsessed, put together by Hazel May and Stephen Payne. It's wonderful. It's really good. It will be on Blue Jay Central today. Part two focuses on uh, the matriarch of the uh, Manoa family. Uh, She's Susan, the boss, for sure. Yes, he is. Uh, she is indeed that. Uh, Susanna Luch. Uh, and that'll be on Blue Jay Central before the game. What probably, I mean, I might be talked about a bit, not in that necessarily, but, well, yesterday we had a conversation about uh, Alex Verdugo's shot at, uh, at, at Alec Manoa on uh, the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast, and, of course, a lot of people on social media immediately managed to dig up a picture of 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 uh, Alex Verdugo rounding third base after hitting a home run off Manoa. Look at the... Well, I don't know if he did that, but he was like into the Blue Jays. He kind of like, gave I, it the... I got the, you. I'm better than you. Kind of gave it the, you know, look the, at the me, weightlifter I, pose. Kind of gave yeah. it, posed it a little bit going around going around third base. Um, And uh, Alec Manoa was asked about it yesterday. <laughs> by uh, the Toronto Sun, and his response was, as I said, it's my response to most of my critics. I don't, I don't give a crap. Um, John Schneider was asked about a postgame. Let's play, uh, play the clip from John Schneider. He was asked whether or not uh, this could, could be hanging over today's game would be an issue. As you guys look ahead, you have no on the event tomorrow. I'm sure you saw the comments that Alex Rubio made about him. Is it competitor for Manoa and you're not facing the Red Sox tomorrow? Do you think that's an obstacle for him? Do you think that's the sort of thing that he just kind of brushes past? Like, what's, what, if anything, is that focused for him? Um, I don't think much at all. Um, we're playing Kansas City tomorrow. He's focusing on getting those guys out. So, um, really no comment on that at all. There you go. Of course, it's it will be right brought answer. up again following the game today. And, right. I, <laughs> and I would imagine that it will be brought up before the next time Alec Manoa faces the, uh, the, Red faces the Boston Red Sox, which is good, clean fun as far as I'm concerned. Why do I not care? Because you know what? Because <sighs> you're a former player and that crap goes on all the time. We just don't know it. Well said. Every day. Every, you know how much. Now they didn't have podcasts. They didn't have podcasts. But you know how much. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, I a lot. That's that. That's why you don't care. That's because you've you've heard worse. A way Hell, worse. you may have said I, worse. I, I, I there's no doubt. You may have said <laughs> there, worse. There is no doubt. There just right wasn't a face. there just wasn't a podcast. What to somebody else? It was to their face. Called, called baseball isn't boring Absolutely. at the time, and, 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 and it came out. Um. It's not gonna I don't know why I don't care, but it, I, it's yeah. good fun. Gives I us get, something yeah, to talk about. I, Beats the hell out of talking about Jose Barrios. That's your boy. I know that's that's hard for you to say. Oh, it is. I I get it. It's very hard for you to say. It catches in my throat every time. I'm just waiting to. It, it's going to be when he rattles off nine wins in a row oh, and so. makes the All Star game. I'm going to have. I the, really hope so. I'm going to have the biggest. I told you so. The only I told that's never you so. Happen, but the only I told you so that's going to be bigger than that is when Bo Bichette's hitting cleanup sometime in May. That's the only I told you so that will be bigger than the Barrios. I told you so. 
Yeah, you know that's I not am that. his. I don't know why. Only fan. <laughs> I don't know. It's you know. It's like when your back's against the wall. I just I'm getting more obstinate about Jose Barrios. I'm rooting for just him. Just because he's a, he's a good dude. I just I'm, I, more I, I'm rooting for him, and they, and they really need. Him. Let's let's not, yeah. not lie. They they really need. Him. Alec Manoa gets a start today uh, against Zach Greinke. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, uh, Mr. Barker did a, a brilliant job at the start of the show talking about what the Jays may face with Zach Granke. A grunt in 87. A grunt in 87. Uh, like you're going to hear it. going to be the, the, the most audible 87 mile an hour <laughs> fastball you've heard. It is. And an Anifas. Let's bring in Buck Anifas. Let's bring in Buck Martinez, Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet. Buck, thanks so much for joining Kevin and my, uh, Kevin and myself today. Um, yeah, Zach Granke and Alec Manoa kind of, uh, Two different dudes facing each other. Uh, what should the Jays, in, in particular Matt Chapman, who was in the cleanup spot last night, he's on a roll. Obviously, he's had a terrific start to the year. What should his approach be against a guy like Zach Granke compared to some of the other guys you've seen so far this year? He should do the same thing he's been doing, Jeff. And I, I think uh, his approach has worked very well. He's hitting the ball the opposite field, and that's the same approach you have to take against a guy that's not going to overpower you with fastball. So if he stays exactly where he is right now, I think that will be the best approach for anybody to take against Zach Brinke. Uh Dalton Varsho, what have you seen you liked, really liked about him? Is there anything you've seen that has surprised you, Buck, that you may have not been looking for, that you were like, whoa, I like you that? Kevin, I like everything about him. He's a terrific ball player, And you know what? You look at him and, uh, you know, if he were to walk out on the field, you might not suspect that he would be as good a player as he is. But, boy, he does everything right. Um, he's not gifted with terrific physical skills, but, man, he gets the most out of his skills. And he's a baseball player. You know, he grew up with his dad, and his dad was a major leaguer and a coach, and he was around the game his whole life. And, you know, he grew up in Wisconsin. I asked him if he was a Brewer fan. He said, no, I'm a Philly fan. And, of course, his dad was a coach for the Phillies for a long time. So, yeah, he, he, I mean, last night was a perfect example of, of what he brings to the show. He made a great throw to home plate. Uh, one hop, perfect for a catcher. That's exactly the kind of throw you want. Give me that long one hopper and I can make a play on it. And then he hits a home run the opposite field. He gets a bundle for the left-hander. And he can do a lot of things to, to win games for you. He's a terrific base runner. And he might be one of the most... Uh, one of the quickest players to be embraced by his teammates joining a new club. He came in and immediately he was part of the fabric of his team. He's a terrific addition to this ball club. Uh, Buck, you think putting him in the cleanup spot may be too unfair for him this early in the season, or is it he's good enough and just put him in there and let him run with it? I don't think it makes any difference, Kevin. I think he just loves to play baseball. He doesn't care where he's hitting. He's going to give you the same approach every day. He's going to give you everything he has every day. And, uh, you know, anymore, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you're hitting cleanup one time. I, I think he likes uh, – I think John likes the fact that he's hitting behind Vladdy. He's got a left-handed bat behind Vladdy. And I just think it's a good way. And he's mixed up the lineup, as you guys know. He's done a pretty good job. He's got a lot of options the way he can manipulate this lineup especially having those three new left-handed bats on the lineup to move up and down in the order. And, uh, you know, Varsho has, has gotten off to a great start. Kumar has gotten off to a great start. Uh, Brandon Belt uh, looking to get going a little bit, but I'm sure he'll be in there tonight against Grinky. And, um, you know, it's been a nice, uh, a nice start. Despite the record, 
I think if you uh, look at the offense, everybody be pleased with the way everything's going. Uh, Buck, if you were the ca- if you were catching Jose Barrios' next start, and I've already asked this question there, Kratzy, but I want to hear what your answer would be. If you're his personal personal catcher and you're catching his between bullpens, if you go- were going to give him one piece of advice, what would it be? I'd stop throwing the two seam fastball inside. Yeah. I wouldn't throw that. The margin of error is so fine in there, and there's only a handful of guys that have been able to do it consistently over the course of history, and you go back to Maddox. He was the master of it because he was so good at it, everybody wanted to copy him. But when you think about it, and you're a left-handed hitter, right? Mm -hmm. Where is that ball going? That ball is going toward the barrel of your bat. No question. The two-seamer runs away from you, and it's going to the barrel of your bat. Yeah, if you make a good pitch and you get him to flinch inside, that's one thing. But your margin of error is so small. And, and uh, you know, I will always go back to the safest place to pitch somebody is down and away. Mm-hmm. No matter who you're facing, no matter right-handed, left-handed, you go down and away consistently and hit that spot, you're going to have success. And I think he's trying to do a little bit too much when his command isn't quite as keen as it needs to be. And I would stop trying to force that two-seamer. MJ Melendez hit one, and he hit it nine miles because it ran back over the plate. I talked to Lance Berkman about this once, and he said, you know what? The hardest pitch for me to hit is that four-seamer belt high in on my hands from a right-hander because I've got to make a decision quickly to get the barrel to that ball. Anything that runs away from me is going toward my barrel, so I have much more area to hit the ball to all parts of the field. And if it's uh, inside a little bit, it's still running toward the barrel, and I can get to it. If it's down and away, I can take it the other way. But that's one thing. If I were catching him, I would kind of shy away from that four-seam fastball inside and locate, I mean, excuse me, the two-seam fastball inside and locate your four-seamer away a little more consistently. Mm -hmm. All right, we have to talk about Yusei Kikuchi after that outing uh, last night. You know, Kevin and I talked about this in Blue Jays talk, and we talked about it a little earlier this morning as well, Buck. But, you know, the sign for me with Yusei Kikuchi, first of all, I think we saw everything everybody was saying about him in spring training kind of came to fruition in the regular season. The strikeouts, you know, two strikeouts, nothing to write home about. But I, I just, so what? It was, it was really, it was a really well-pitched game. The big thing to me is, one, he was efficient, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Two, I saw him hit 98. And I saw him awesome. hit 97 a couple of times. But you know what I also saw, and you pointed this out during the telecast very early. You know, he had that, when Pedro Martinez was feeling it, Pedro Martinez would finish off his strikeouts with kind of a little, there'd be that little leg swing. It was just like, you could you could just tell that he was, man, that I'm just really feeling it. And you saw Kikuchi do that last night, right? A couple of those strikeouts, there was that little finish at, at the end. And I just got the sense that he looked... Buck, he looked more comfortable than I've seen him in a Jays uniform. No question. I, I saw that early on, and, and I always read body language of a pitcher. If he has got a lot of energy in his body, and if he's uh, looking for that sign, anticipating the next pitch, that's always a great sign. And you know, if his shoulders are kind of slumped, and he's uh, rounding his shoulders, and you know, he's kind of towing at the rubber, and it's a, it's a, it's a sign that he doesn't feel real good about his stuff. I thought the the entire game came in the second inning Mm -hmm. after he gave up the home run and the single to Matt Duffy, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, here's where the wheels fall off. But then he settled down. He got a terrific play by Merrifield in right field on Hunter uh, Hunter Dozier, and then he retired a bunch of Royals in a row, eight in a row, 
And I thought that was the difference we've seen from Kikuchi this year as opposed to in previous years. He did not get unraveled. He didn't get rattled. He just settled back down. And I thought Danny did a good job with him as well, just going out there and saying, hey, we're good here. We're all right. You gave up a home run single. We're good. And, you know, he threw that one pitch back to the backstop, and I thought, oh, boy, here we go. And he got it right back, and I thought that was great. One thing I want to say, too, is he went to spring training knowing he was fighting for a job in a rotation. Mm-hmm. And the other starters were kind of like just getting ready for the season, and I think you can see the results of Kikuchi compared to everybody but Gosman. Gosman was good in his start on day two in St. Louis, but – I think Manoa and, and Bassett and Barrios, they were all kind of mix and match in the spring, and there was not that real focus that you want to see. Kikuchi was focused from the first time he took them out in spring training, and that paid off for him last night in the first start. Now, Alec Manoa will start today against Zach Greinke. We, you know, I, uh, I mean, Alec Manoa, he, I, he didn't get into a back and forth with Alex Verdugo. Alex Verdugo had some things to say in a podcast. You know, Manoa basically said, I don't give a crap. And we'll find out the next time they face the Red Sox whether or not he doesn't give a crap. But I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering, Buck, because John Schneider was asked about it after the game as well yesterday. Manoa's also doing a regular hit on the MLB Network. And, and you know, and he, I thought, I don't know if the moment was too big for him in opening day. I'm not comfortable saying that, but I, I probably would have picked Kevin Gossman as my opening day starter. And I guess what I'm saying here, long-winded as usual, but what I'm saying here, Buck, is to the Jays, is is Alec Manoa's demeanor an issue at all? No, I don't think so. I, I think his issue is uh, different when he's on the mound and, and off the mound. I, I think on the mound, he's pretty much all about business and all of that. And off the mound, he, he likes the attention. He likes the uh, ability to, to do podcasts, and that's fine. I mean, that's the way we are now, Jeff. That's mm. the way... Uh, Sports is, you know, everybody's got a brand and all that. That's fine. On the mound, he's all about business and all about working. He had a real good side session here the other day. And what he was trying to do, and, and his slider was not effective in that first game against St. Louis. And you know what? Everybody's just discounting St. Louis. They're pretty darn good. And they got a bunch of real good hitters in that lineup. And, um, yeah, he didn't have a great start. You know, he snapped that streak of 39 straight games of five innings or more. And, uh, you know, he was so exceptional. I mean, it, it's kind of like what we were doing with Vladdy last year. Oh, what happened to Vladdy? Well, Vladdy had a good year, but it wasn't good compared to his previous year. And I think we're going to have to be a little more patient with Alec. I think Alec will be fine uh, tonight. And, uh, you know, he knows what he has to do to pitch. And uh, I just think, and I think John Snyder feels the same way, that, that he didn't ramp up with the intensity that he would like. And I think we're going to see a different approach next spring from all of the starters. You know, I've said this for years. I don't think guys in general across the industry use spring training to get in shape as much as they should. Mm -hmm. I think uh, they should pitch more. I think the batter should have more at-bats. And I I just think that, uh, you know, you should – that's why spring training is so long for the pitchers. So you should go out there and throw six or seven innings in your last start in spring training so you can carry that into the first game because the adrenaline is going to be a kind of a neutralizing factor. And I think you have to pitch a little bit more in the spring to get ready. Buck, what have you seen from Eric Swanson that you've liked? Um, Well, first of all, I I like his approach. Excuse me. He has uh, the high fastball. He's got a great splitter. His splitter actually grades out better than Gosman's Mm -hmm. splitter. Mm -hmm. He's got more movement. He throws a little bit harder. 
But, uh, you know, he's efficient. And that's what you want out of the bullpen. You want a guy that's going to come in and throw strike one, strike two, and then finish off the bat. You don't want a guy that's out there walking guys and, and giving the other hitters a lot of information, especially late in the game. And we've talked about this for years, especially in the American League East. You have to have swing and miss relievers at the end of your bullpen because you don't want anybody to put it in play. Somebody puts it in play, next guy hits a home run, and boom, you lose. So you need that swing and miss arm, and he's going to be a good one. I think Jimmy Garcia is going to end up being one of those guys he can rely on in the seventh and eighth inning as well. And Timmy Mazel last night was terrific. That was a great mm-hmm. sign, the way he struck out all four guys he faced. So I think the bullpen's in pretty good shape right now, and I think it's going to get better when these starters start pitching into the sixth and seventh inning. I think that'll have a big impact. Last question. Uh, we had a conversation with, with Eric Kratz a couple of minutes ago, and we were talking about the Phillies and the Yankees. And, of course, two teams that Eric, well, Eric's played for everybody. So, But we were talking about the, the, the Phillies in particular and the start they'd gotten off to. And it was interesting hearing him talk about Reese Hoskins. And, and, and the conversation kind of morphed into, you know, leadership, in air quotes, means one thing to fans and media, another thing to the dudes who are in uniform. And his point was that, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia media never really has never really glommed on to how important Reese Hoskins is in the in the clubhouse as a leader. And he as a result, he 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 thinks that people might be underplaying how much Reese Hoskins will be missed by the team. Anyhow, my point is I wanted to talk to you and Kevin about this because you've both been in uniform, both been in a lot of uniforms. Do we as fans and media, and I don't mean this to be critical, but do we as fans and media sometimes, Buck, get the wrong impression of what quote, leadership is. You know, we see a guy and we go, my, that guy's a leader. I mean, he looks like a leader, talks like a leader, walks like a leader, but that's not necessarily the guy who holds sway in the clubhouse. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, you know, I've been around some great leaders. Uh, of course, the late Sal Bando was a terrific leader for us in Milwaukee, Hal McCray in Kansas City. You know, there were guys that you just looked to that said, okay, well, let's see what the captain's doing. Let's see what Mac's doing. And, and I think that's true with uh, Reese Hoskins. Um, you know, he, he was a, a very good leader. But another thing people forget about, they don't have Bryce Harper. And, you know, that's a big boy to have two of those big bats out of your lineup and everybody's panicking in Philadelphia. And you know what? How many times have we heard general managers say, I need 60 games to get a read on my team? Right. And everybody, you know, after the Cardinal series, uh, Boutier fans go, oh, I thought this was going to be a good team. <laughs> they lost two out of three of the Cardinals. And it, it takes a while to sort things out, and especially when you have a few new players. But like I said, this team has more chemistry. I spoke to Brandon Belt about this the other day. He says, we believe we're going to win every time we step on the field, and it's a good feeling when you come into a new team and, and recognize that right away. And, you know, there's a perfect example of a leader, Brandon Belt. Very quiet guy, just goes about his business, but he knows when you need to say something. And I don't think the Blue Jays are close to a a time where you have to say anything about it. But, you know, in his own way, Springer's a leader. Mm -hmm. In his own way, Bo's a leader. And Vladdy's a little bit of a leader. And and Danny Jansen's a leader. And and there's a whole bunch of leaders in there. But I, I think everybody believes that this team has got the chemistry it takes to win a World Series. And now they just have to go out and get on a roll and let everybody relax a little bit, and I think they'll be just fine. Buck, we're going to let you run. Appreciate your yeah. time, as always, my friend. Uh, be well, safe travels, and we, we look forward to seeing you back in Toronto. Thanks, Thanks as Buck. always. 
All right, fellas. Good to be with you. You have a great day. You, you too, thanks. It's Buck Martinez, Blue Jays TV Performance-driven, Jeff. Like, that that stuff, I, you, Buck, everything Buck said is, is spot on. But you, you, I think everybody has to remember, these are grown men. And for another grown man to walk up and actually want to lead me in some form of a direction that I, he doesn't think that I'm going in, it's a tough sale. Now, if that dude's hitting 380 with 15 homers in the first month and a half, He's got a leg to stand on. If he's not, and he's Brandon Belt, and I get what he's done, but they're bringing him here to do something, and I'm mm-hmm. seeing him swing through 91. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not going to hold cloud because it will. Because you know it, it he's is. Got he's got the been, rings. He's, he's and, been. And he's been there. And rings done are it, a big. And I, rings are a big deal, I, aren't and they? I get it. But walking up to a Bo Bichette and saying this is one yeah. thing. What? Because I know. I know that I've seen that relationship between Bo and Brandon in spring training. They were buddy buddy having conversation about hitting and you know the chicken wing with the arm, the front elbow, and because Brandon gets a little lad. He gets a little. You know, look, it looks like a merry-go-round. It looks like a windmill where his elbows are going in certain directions that they shouldn't be going, and that, that's he's playing catch-up, and that's why he's swinging through 91 miles an hour. I, I just caution people about that. Well, that's why I wanted to talk Leader, about it. Because- and let's, you know, rah, rah, and here we go, and everybody, they've eliminated the jacket. Now it's... Oh, we're oh, going to get way, this done, you see and we're this... just eyebrow up, and how dare you mess with the Blue Jays? By the way, we're if, serious. If, if you, if you, be careful yeah. with that. Well, I was yeah. going to say, if if you folks are still hung up on the jacket, find out what the Cincinnati Reds are doing when they hit a home run. I'm just not. I'm I'm not going to say anything, but it, it's, it's basically Cincinnati Reds. Too. It's basically it's like an episode of the Vikings. It it's is the TV show when they uh, when they hit a home run, and it's the Reds. You're right. It's anyhow, whatever. But, no, the reason I brought this up is because, and, and I think this is one way that media, especially baseball media, has become so much better than it was when I started out covering media. Mm-hmm. Is and, and it's odd because we spent way more time in the clubhouse as reporters in the late 90s and 2000 than the dudes do now. Hell, we were on the charter. Yeah. We were flying on the charter. You guys so were too when I played. You got a sense of what – you got a sense of each person's personality. Yeah. But it was remarkable how many times, right, you would write a story. And we don't understand – I don't – no one really understands what leadership is. Leadership is different things to different people. Yeah. Right? And if if you're if you, if you're having the best year of your career, you may not want to be led. Let, let's be honest. You, whether you don't, you're, you won't, you, you don't want to no, be no. led because it's working for you. Nor, normally, when I'm asking for something, it's because I'm not doing something right. But my whole point is, we used to have this idea. You know, people talk about Gary Carter was a leader with you. No, Gary Carter was not a leader with the Expos. Gary Carter was a hell of a player, mm-hmm. and he was a leader when he was hitting home runs and all the stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But there were so many aspects to that team. There were other guys who were taking big roles. Same with the Blue Jays teams that that you know we've been around. We had yeah. that whole thing with with the 2015 2016 team. Oh, who's the leader? Is it Jose Batista? Is it Josh Donaldson? Okay. Russ Martin came in. Russ Martin was a great leader. Russ Martin basically spent his last year with the Blue Jays. I mean, I love Russ, but he didn't exercise much influence in the clubhouse. He pretty much kept himself. Uh-huh. So I, I, I and and I like the fact that. So much of the discussion around baseball now, because I think the writers are generally smarter, generally understand analytics a little better. So much of the dis- we don't have that discussion anymore about leadership, right? Which I think is good because I just, you know, 
to me, the most vociferous guy isn't always the leader, right? A lot of it, you talk about eyewash. There's a lot of stuff that goes on a lot between of it players is, and the media, which, which uh, is eyewash. A lot of it is eyewash. It's, 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 that guy's familiar with me because he either has the same swing. He runs the bases the same way as I do. He throws the ball in the outfield the same way I do. And I'm not doing something right, and I'm bouncing something off of him because right. I want to figure out how to do it better. I can remember being on charter planes with Marquise Grissom and Jeremy Burnett's and Jeff Jenkins. Bernie and Jenkins had the same kind of swing that I had. We were over swingers, right? Burnett's invented that thing on the back of the the ticket saying that we're not, you know, the objects thrown in. Yeah. Is, that's, that's his Jeremy fault. Burnett. That's his fault. It's Bernie is because he threw everything because yeah, he I already swung and he was a one-hand release guy. That, that was the relationship. It was not leadership. It was I'm throwing it off to help me get better as a player because you are sort of similar to me. It's that thing. That leadership thing, Brandon Belt's not the reason why they don't have the jacket. I hate to break it to people. He's not. So let's be careful about they need a leader. They need a, you know, you stick up for me. They, you know, the you, team, my favorite uh, line is the, team, need, the team needs to find its identity. No, it doesn't. The team needs to win a game, whether they, they, they win they a game 3-1, 3-0, or 15-1. When it mattered matter. the most, they need a better pitcher. Yeah, it's period. Identity, momentum, so leadership. Be careful with that. If I learned anything over the years, identity, momentum, leadership, three biggest piles of BS that sports writers throw out. Because it's easy. Especially you don't, you don't have really anything else to talk about. It. It's, a, it's an easy conversation. I, it's, I'm not saying that it's not sometimes occasionally where, you know, you've lost 15 in a row and you're, sp- you're supposed to be one of the teams to win a World Series, that a guy who has been there a lot longer than most of you could stand up and raise their hand. But it's rare because most of the time, the most players, if, if it's consistently happening, you roll your eyes at it and it's throwing you out of your routine that I actually have to go out of my way to have a meeting with you. So be careful with that. Gary Carter's nickname when he was with the uh... – Expos in his first go-around was lights because he knew where the TV cameras were. Mm. Um, got a uh, couple of tickets to give away to the April 13th game at the Rogers Center between the Jays and the Tigers. A trivia question. This one, I, I mean, we got that wasn't Slam even printed up. off and we got it. But we've been giving you a chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker. We'll continue to do that whether you listen on the radio or on our podcast. And if you do listen to the podcast, please uh, give us a nice five-star rating. Uh, All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 590-590. Today's question is, this longtime Tigers manager is the only manager to win both the World Series and World Baseball Classic. I mean... uh, Again... This longtime Tigers Again. manager is the only manager to win both a World Series and World Baseball Classic title. And he is the only human being I have ever seen smoking a cigarette while he was wearing the patch. <laughs> That's awesome. In the club. That is awesome. In, in the dugout before a playoff in game. In the sixth inning. <laughs> no, no, anyhow, I've given it away. But again, text the answer the to five ninety five ninety. He did, man. <laughs> he did in the title. Text the answer to five ninety five ninety for your shot to win. I, See rules at sportsnet.ca slash five ninety. I played the Mexican league, as you know. Yeah. On the on deck circle, some players were 
puffing it and would flip it and walk up and be blowing the smoke it's while like, they're going to the plate. Well, take a look at the, the there's that it's famous. The greatest thing I've ever seen. There's, there's that fa- a homer. There's that famous, uh, <laughs> famous picture of Len Dawson, the quarterback of the Kansas City uh, Chiefs. At the halftime of the Super Bowl, yeah. sitting in the clubhouse with a cigarette and a Fanta. Oh, it's the greatest thing I've it ever is. seen. Oh, it, it is awesome. Um, anyhow, you can text the answer to 59590 for your oh. shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. Hey, uh, we got a really great at Roldis Chapman story we're going to tell you, courtesy of Kevin Barker. I mean, I think it's funny. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's great as, as he was looking at what okay, I can just, do. And but it, it was funny. Barker, a former Roldis Chapman teammate. You saw Roldis Chapman yesterday. Uh, you saw Roldis Chapman steamroll our good friend Vic Carapaza, and and oh, he's my favorite. Umpire. He's my favorite umpire. He wins the Angel Hernandez Award, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, anyhow, uh, we got a Roldis Chapman story for you. We got a little bit of tension maybe in St. Louis between the manager and a Canadian player. We'll talk about uh, we'll talk about a pitcher who's going to make an eagerly awaited Major League debut. Oh, Hondo. tonight and. Uh, We'll go to the back leg line as well. 416-413-3959. Splair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. First pitch tonight, Alec Manoa against Zach Greinke. A reminder, Blue Jays Central before the game. Chapter 2 of the six-part series put together by Hazel May and Stephen Payne. Alec Manoa obsessed. The uh, episode tonight will focus on uh, Alec Manoa's mother, who got a, gets an awful lot of camera time whenever he pitches. Because she has so much fun watching her son pitch. Yep. And it's so much fun watching her have fun. Uh, Susanna Luch will be the uh, focal point of tonight's episode, which airs on Blue Jay Central. And again, first pitch is at 7.40. Reminder, tomorrow is an afternoon game. The Jays will pack up after the game and go to Los Angeles to take on the Angels. And uh, all these games will be on Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet TV, and streaming on Sportsnet. Um, we already talked about some of the stuff that happened last night. Sandy Alcantara's... Uh, gem against the uh, Minnesota Twins. Big start tonight. A start of some significance. Big start. It's a start of some significance. The Baltimore Orioles have called up Grayson Rodriguez, their top pitching prospect, mm-hmm. uh, to take on the Texas Rangers. And why shouldn't I, they? I, well, why shouldn't they? And I say uh, it's significant because if uh, the Orioles, the Orioles have got some stuff going on this year, but the one thing they, uh, you know, the one thing they appear to be shy on is is starting rotation. And, and um I know that if Grayson Rodriguez comes up and is successful at some point, probably a month down the road, you're going to hear Blue Jays fans going, oh, wait a minute, the Orioles can bring up Grayson Rodriguez. Why aren't the Jays bringing up Ricky Tiedemann? Just throwing it out there. I, the two aren't necessarily combined. Ready. But it, it is a, uh, it, if, if if Grayson Rodriguez, uh, who's coming off uh, an injury last year, if he's good to go, the Orioles are going to be... I mean, this could be a big boon for the Orioles. And who knows? It could be a Johnny Brito thing where they bring him up and send him down. But uh, good in the Orioles for doing this. Why not? It's early in the year. 
your rotation's been a little yeah, wobbly. Yeah, I, I think I think you're getting trying to get eyeballs to the set. If you're if you're in the or- Orioles organization, you're trying to get people to watch your team play. God, it, what better way to do it than bring up the your best prospect on the pitching side? Yeah, I'm with you. It's they are. It's sort of a little bit of a no brainer. Bark, they're so deep as an organization. Well, I mean, Again, they should be. They have they're, stunk they're, forever, like they should be. Let's be honest. Let's not lie about it. Like they should be. So. Hopefully it works out for him. So we talked a lot uh, in the last segment. Oh, the uh, Roldis Chapman story. I forgot about this. I want you to tell, tell the Roldis yeah, Chapman story. The- He's pitching for Kansas City. Now, did he, did he hit 104 last yeah, night? He absolutely did. He did hit 104 yeah, last I, night. Yeah, yeah, I think he hit Perez in the in the wrist, too. Yeah. They, Clean. Yeah. No, no, he flipped it over. And that, that's luckily, I mean, he had hit some him, guard on it. It, it hit him. It, it, yeah, it hit him clean. Well, luckily, but, luckily, he had that guard well, on it. Chapman is went through his wrist. Kind of a neat. I mean, why not? It's a low. I don't know. For, Nate's, for the word. Is Nate's a word? Nah, it's good fun to Nate, have. Nate's the word you came up with. Would you like a, no, I said, yeah, it is neat. Would you like to see him in this team? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, Anyhow. Yeah, so he, you were a teammate he, of his <laughs> in Cincinnati, and I thought the story was kind of funny. And keep in mind that I, you know, my sense of humor is. Yeah, I was in the minor leagues on my way out with the Reds. He was basically on the way in, and we I pulled in, and I don't even know where I pulled in from, but I was on the bus and coming from some game that I probably didn't want to go to or come from. And I look over, and these these five cars were sitting in a line, and, and they were all really, really expensive cars. Ferraris, maybe, what Porsches, whatever they were, and they were five in a row. Mm-hmm. And and I started looking. I started paying attention because it caught my eye because they were, like, yellow and white and yeah. red. And, you know, one was black. Like, it's looking over here at how yeah, cool my I'm, car I'm, is color, yeah. right? Like, you really want to pay attention to it. And then I started really noticing, and I was like, man, that license plate looks awfully small. Like, the numbers on it look like, you know, there wasn't a lot of numbers on yeah. it. And then I started walking over, like, Halfway to it because you know I didn't want to go all the way over there because yeah. you really don't know who it is, right? Yeah. Someone mess around yeah, those ice cars. Never know. I'll, be, I'll be careful with right. that stuff. And then I saw the license plate and it said on one of them 101. And then I walked and then I looked at the other one and it said 102. And then I looked at the other one and it was 103, 104, 105. So not only did you have that expensive car. And it was bright orange. I think one of them were orange. I do remember that. It's like orange and black striped or yeah. something. And it said like 104. So I just I, it was license just, plates. Absolutely. It was just like the, I don't want to say, was it cool? Can I say cool? I don't think that's it was cool. cool. I think that's fine. It was more of look over here at me. You know, I'm in Ball the minor work. leagues. And I got nowhere else to park my car but in the AAA stadium in the back of the parking lot. Like, it's it like, you know, there is, it's not gated or locked. It's like a free wheeling where everybody can pull up and check out your and car. Of course, so I just thought that was like, look at me. I got way too much money. This, this coming from the man whose car, when he drove into his first his first camp with the Cincinnati Reds, as our dear friend Sean Casey pointed out, had, what was your license plate? First base. First base on the license plate. Look at absolute beating for that. Yeah, of course you did. Um, Holy man, I watched everybody's car. I took it to get them serviced. It was, I, I think I cleaned shoes for like, it was awful. Yeah. I couldn't wait to get rid of that license plate. <laughs> like, it was just the worst. Just, it's the worst thing I've ever done. I would, I would, I would That's just, the biggest regret I have as a baseball player. I would have just taken it out. I would have <laughs> just was, taken it out and set it on fire or something like awful. that. Uh, it was my Honda Prelude, too. Oh, Stick no. shift. It was it was uh, candy apple red. Oh. So not a, so it, it, you it kept stood out. And then right? that's why I think one of those pitchers that were useless walked by and was like, look at the license plate. And then it blew yeah, up, yeah, right? Uh Yesterday, in the uh, Braves-Cardinals game, Ronald Acuna Jr. threw out Tyler O'Neill at home plate, Canada's own Tyler O'Neill in the seventh inning. 
And, um, well, Cardinals manager Ollie Marmol and O'Neill were asked about it after the game. And, um, well, this is the Cardinals manager, Ollie Marmol. And this gets to the point, I'm, we're playing this because, well, you'll hear why we're playing it, but also because it gets to something Kevin Barker said. This is the Cardinals manager, uh, Ollie Marmol, after Tyler O'Neill was thrown out at home plate in the seventh inning yesterday. This was his answer. Yeah, we got a lot of guys playing really hard. That's not our style of play as far as the, the effort around in the bag there. Um, it's unacceptable. Yeah. That's pretty clear, right? Yeah. All right, good. Is it a case where you think he maybe didn't expect to be sent or given the circumstance, or what do you, is it just a matter of effort and that spot wasn't uh, Bottom line is that's not his judgment. That's why we have a coach standing over there. Your efforts... Uh, 100% until you're told not to. Yeah. All right. I mean, I, I don't what? know, Ollie, but that sounds to me like you're, that sounds to me like you're pouring a lot of fuel in a fire that doesn't necessarily need to be raging. Anyhow, Tyler O'Neill was asked about a post game at his locker. He was pretty blunt about it. He didn't think I gave the best effort. Um, um, you know, I'm out here every day grinding my grinding my ass off. Um, you know, giving it my all and uh, trying to stay on the field for 160 games out here. So, um, you know, like I said, I just got to get a better jump next time, and, and I guess you know, just get around, get around the base a little quicker, and um, you know, be in there next time. I'm trying to I'm trying to score that round, of course. You know, um, not out there to dog it at all. Um, you know, those are pretty pretty strong words from him. So that's um, good to know. You know, I was just uh, trying to take a tight turn. Um, you know, I've been working a lot on different run form mechanics and stuff here in St. Louis, um, and that puts me in a better position for longevity. So, um, you know, maybe there's a little um, there's a little uh, too much thought process. In the, in the play for me rather than just to go get them, um, you know, as, as I usually would. So, um, you know, just finding that happy medium and um, learning learning from the experience for sure. That was Tyler O'Neill. Kevin, Whoa. first of all, I love Tyler. Those are two dudes making way too much. Absolutely. Being way too public How about How do you overthink running? Well, the only Explain thing... Explain that to me. I, I mean, first of all, well, I'll tell you because teams have running coaches. You know, guys in the offseason go to sprint coaches. They go to running school. <laughs> the, and and I, I know, but I, but I am going to say this, and I'm not going to stick up for Tyler uh, O'Neill, but I am going to say the idea that everybody gives 100% all the time is bull. There are times where you don't give 100% because when you don't feel like it. thing, score for me right. is what the and, ultimate teammate But what is. I'm saying is, to, first of all, Tyler shouldn't have said it. He just, yeah, you know, next time I'll be better type of thing. But the reason I kind of thought of this as well is uh, conversation I had with Russell Martin when he was with the Dodgers, and I was doing, a, I'd gone to L.A. to do a story on him, and doing this long story, and Russell, I'm talking to him, and I go over and I talk to Luis Gonzalez, who's lockers beside him, and just... Uh, just a gem, like really, really good dude. And he, and, and he was talking about Russell, and he said, you know, the biggest problem I have with Russell is there'd been like, there'd been three occasions in this, a run of three weeks where Russell had slid, had slid headfirst into first base. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the biggest problem I have with Russell is he's got to learn that it ain't life and death every play. We need him to be in the lineup. We don't need to lose him because he jams his shoulder trying to dive into first base on, you know, in the second inning of a game. And there, there is that fine line though, right? Like it, 
Okay, maybe there isn't. You're looking at me like, well, you know what? First of all, I'm asking a guy, and I will say this. You didn't have a fine line Absolutely. when you played. Oh, you, if you, I did, it had been triple A. Yeah, That's exactly. my fine line. That's true. Okay, if I if I get thrown out at home plate and a, and a manager has to come out and say that I didn't hustle, you know where I'm at? Yeah, Not in the big league. Nashville. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I, so I, I, I can't relate to that because I never did that. I, uh, I, I, I don't even know where to go with this. It, it, look, if, if you're a manager and you're going to throw your player under the bus, do the first little part of it. Say that's not the, the cardinal way. End it there. Don't keep going and saying you run hard until the third base coach tells you to yeah. stop. Like, don't do that. If you're going to do that, call him in Here's, the office and say it to his face. I'm sure he did that. But let me. And, and but let don't me, say it to everybody. Let me explain this for people. Here's what happened. You interview the manager before you interview the players. The managers ask the question about this. And really all Ollie Marmol has to say is uh, – I don't like it. It's not the cardinal way. Yeah. I will address it. I will address it. Yeah, or, that's it. To, or all he has to say is, you know what? We've addressed it. It's over. It's not the cardinal way. Boom. Then the writers go to Tyler O'Neill and they say, hey, you know, this is all he told us about the play. This is what he plays. Tyler O'Neill would probably say, you know, yeah, we talked about it. It's not going to happen again. Boom. We move on. But man, if you're the manager and you. Yeah, it's boxing gloves and yeah, close the door. Don't give a five sentence Jeez. answer. Yeah. You know, because now. Reporters are going to go to Tyler O'Neill, and they're not going to say that, you know, uh, Ollie said that he talked to you about that play. They're saying, hey, the manager basically just accused you of dogging it. They're not going to use that word. The mm. manager basically just accused you of not giving your best effort out there and uh, said that he spoke of the to you season, about it. Stay hot. Like, now, you mean, got, now you got to say, I'm learning how to run again. Classic example <laughs> of a manager and player. Well, botching it. Yeah. And, and turning something that's a nothing burger Absolutely, into something that's going to. If you if you don't look, going to be if talked you, about. If you don't like it, learn how to say yeah. it without actually saying it. There you go. And then call him in the office and say it to his face. Four one six four one three three nine five nine is the back leg line. Uh, we got uh, a couple of good callers here. Hey, Chris in Sylvan Lake, Alberta. That's cool. We haven't heard from Chris for a while. Frequent mm. caller in Blue Jays talk as well. Uh, Chris had a question for Kevin Barker. I have two things to say. One, I hope back a bunch of cigars from Florida. Nope. And two, Kevin, can you explain the difference in movement between a two-seam fastball and a four-seam mm -hmm. fastball? Thanks, guys. Love the show. Thanks, Chris. Absolutely. Well, look, a two-seam fastball is the ball that goes side to side, right? If you're looking on a clock, that would be sort of like uh, eight to three, right? It's going side to no side. No one uses clocks anymore. Well, clock well, faces. You, you can picture I know that. It's saying. an easy yeah, picture, right? It's like the difference between a sinker that would go, hi, you hate it, 11 to four, right? <laughs> that you can actually yeah. picture it, how it moves. It's going to move that way. It starts at 11. It ends up yeah. at four. The two-seamer is sort of that you just ball just lost everybody under the age of 30. Absolutely I not. I simplified I it, right? That's, that's what it is. And the four-seamer has backspin. So it's going to, it may have a little illusion that it's got to rise, depending on how much sticky stuff you can get away with, depending Shh, on how no much that, spin no. rate you have and all those kind of things. So it is, it's got the the sort of the 12-6 rotation on a clock <laughs> that you like with the four-seamer, and then the eight to four or eight to three that you got uh, with the two-seamer. It, it's simplified. It's easy. That's no, that's is. a no-brainer. If you're watching it in 360, you, you got it. If you're listening to the radio, people are going to... Oh, well, Kevin's that's on. why I said I eight know. to three, and I, I said eleven I to four, and I, I said twelve to six. It's I know, right? I know. It's the it's the that's a good that is a very good question. It it's, is. It's, you would think people would just know that it's a that's a simple question. Everybody that watches.
watches baseball should know which way a two-seamer goes or which way a four-seamer goes or which way a sinker should go. And a lot of people don't, and that's a very good question. Jason in Vancouver's got a question about Jose Barrios. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? question for the uh, mayor of Khakiville there. There we go, oh. the mayor of Khakiville. I was just wondering, we always seem to be talking about Jose Barrios and his pitch set up and where he's setting up on the pitcher's mound or Bo Bichette when we talk about him throwing the ball away about his uh, arm trailing his shoulder and his body. And I was just wondering, Kevin, because you've got the experience, how much of it could actually be related to just their mental mindset? If you could maybe talk about your time when you've maybe had the yips or had anxiety or just don't have that confidence and how much that can play into a player's performance, because that's where I kind of think Barrios is maybe at. And what do the Blue Jays do to maybe combat that? What type of mental training do they have for their players? Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, Jason, later. that's a great question, because Kevin and I had this. Well, I'm going to let you talk about the the yips, because well, I, you, you I, had kind of a version well, of Well, I had the catching yips. Like, I had the yips at first base when a ball was thrown for me from shortstop or second base. I'd miss the baseball. Like, it would hit my glove and it would fall out of my glove. you remember how it started? No idea. Just Woke started. up and may I eat something I shouldn't have eaten in the minor leagues. Like, I have no idea. I, yeah. I still don't to this day. I have no idea why it went away. All of a sudden, I just, for whatever reason, it lasted for probably four days mm-hmm. to where I was going, wanting to go to the manager and going, hey, Duke, you, you don't see what I see? Like, you may need to give me a couple days here to figure this thing out. And luckily, you know, I, I remember I didn't get a ton of balls thrown to me. I think we had a bunch of punch outs. It was cold. It was early in the season. I do remember that it was cold. Maybe that had something to do with it. You know, the footwork around the bag maybe wasn't good. The mental part of it, look, it's changed from when I played. When I played, you wore it. You figured it out on your own. Now, occasionally, if you were a big-time dude and, you know, you meant a lot to winning a World Series for team, they'd do whatever it took, right? They'd get in whoever they could get in there to help you mentally between the years. And it is that way now. Now, I've never heard. Have you heard anybody doing that with Jose Barrios? I have not, but I'm sure they have. Right, just I'm the sure mental part sport. of doing. They've, they've got to have sports. Oh, you would certainly, you would certainly think there. that they have of of, of of forgetting about what happened that was bad to you because a lot a lot's happened. Let's be honest, hadn't been any, a lot of good stuff. How do you eliminate it quicker so you can move on and be better? I think that's a big deal. So I look, the the that is the, the he will be the million dollar question all year until he actually has a good half of a year. And piece it together and start having a good three quarters of a year. Be consistently good. So when he gets the ball, you know what he's going to get. When he gets the ball next time, do you have any idea what you're going to get from him? Any clue? No. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think think he does. Unfortunately, I kind of do. That's Ryan. I, I hope That's you're wrong. Ryan I, with it. I do too. Because I'm rooting too. for him, and we've had again. I get back to that. We've had a couple catchers on here who have given different answers about how they would go about and fixing him. What does that him. tell you? Well, they're they're trying that same thing with yeah, him now, exactly. and that's what I said. Maybe he just goes and says, "Forget you. I'm going to go do my thing." Yeah. This is not working so far. Maybe I try something different. Great That's questions, it. though. It was a great question. Yeah. That's it for us today. Mr. Barker and myself will be doing Blue Jays talk tonight following the game. 741st pitch, Granky versus Manoa. Don't forget, Alec Manoa, obsessed. Hazel May and Stephen Payne's six-part series on Alec Manoa tonight during Blue Jays Central. Have yourself a great day.